0: Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at PixelScientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Benji Meltzer, co-founder and CTO of Aerobotics, to talk about optimizing crop yields. Benji, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having me.
0: Benji, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Aerobotics?
1: Sure. So I'm originally from Cape Town in South Africa, which is where I'm based at the moment. I'm an engineer. My undergraduate degree was in what's called mechatronics engineering here. It's kind of a, a mix of electrical and mechanical engineering. In my undergrad i met James Patterson, who's now my co-founder and the CEO of aerobotics. My personal kind of interests are more in the computer vision and I guess software engineering space. So post my undergrad I worked as a consultant initially in actually in the mining industry and looking at sort of process optimization and modeling operations on the mine. And then studied a postgraduate degree in the uk in biomedical engineering but specifically looking at computer vision machine learning and and trying to understand the brain through imagery etc and diagnose sort of traumatic brain injuries as an example and yeah i mean other than that i've I've also got experience working at uber was running analytics for for sub-saharan africa i guess in parallel to my personal journey. James, who I mentioned earlier at, who had met at the University of Cape Town, he also went on to study a postgraduate degree at MIT in Astro and Aeronautical Engineering. He was particularly interested in autonomous flight drones and flight planning and, and sort of building that sort of technology out. And I guess just one other piece of context on his side is he grew up on a farm in the Western Cape in South Africa. And two of us were both overseas. We had always sort of spoken about starting a business together. And a few things came together with us starting a robotics. I think more than anything, honestly, it was just a combination of our personal interests. So his in agriculture, drones, et cetera, and mine in computer vision and building sort of complex or products that model complex systems in ways that decisions can be made. And yeah, I think combining that with the fact that James in the US and me in the UK had identified that we saw a bit of an arbitrage opportunity almost to come back to South Africa and build something locally. We we thought we've got access to really great talent, access to market in the agriculture space to build this sort of technology out. And I mean, we're also quite naive at the time, I think. And yeah, just decided to come back, combine our technical and, and personal interests and start the business. And yeah, I guess from there, there's been a lot of learning and growth along the way. I mean, that that was all about nine years ago.
0: So what does aerobotics do and, and why is it important for sustainable agriculture?
1: Aerobotics is a precision agriculture business. We use predominantly aerial imagery from different types of sources and build technology that help farmers make decisions throughout the season to optimize their yields through analytics derived from this imagery. We focus on perennial crops, so that's tree tree crops, fruit and nuts in particular. And the types of things that we help farmers with are things like irrigation and nutrition optimizations, understanding how the trees are taking up water or fertilizer, where problems are occurring, giving them sort of near real-time insights as to where the problems are, helping diagnose what's causing the problems and enabling them to make some sort of intervention in the season and hopefully improve the yields and the outcome. One of the other pieces of technology that we've built recently, which has, has kind of gained quite a lot of traction, is yield estimation, where we also help farmers through the growing season, so while the fruits are growing on the trees, understand what that crop load looks like, and off of that, make more informed decisions around, again, interventions that they could take in the season to, to change those outcomes. And in terms of why it's important, I think, I mean, a lot of it speaks for itself, to be honest, but food security is obviously super important, like it's (laughs) growing food and producing food isn't going anywhere. The climate and environment is only becoming more difficult. I think there's obviously things like getting more extreme, the the weather environment to farm in, there's a lot of macro effects like fertilizer costs going through the roof, water becoming less common, labor becoming more expensive and difficult to come by given things like COVID and what that's done. And the need to farm more efficiently and farm in a way where we're using the performance of the crop to inform how we farm and and becoming more sort of responsive and reactive rather than farming completely preventatively, which is is more the sort of traditional way of blanket applying treatments and interventions, I think is definitely the way that things are, are going. And yeah, the role that aerobotics is playing is really sort of building that layer of insight and understanding into how the crop is actually performing to enable people to make these decisions and yeah i think something else worth noting is the farm is very much the main beneficiary and customer that we're, we're building for but there's a number of players throughout the supply chain who derive value from this data as well and it's the likes of crop insurance companies input providers and irrigation companies Fertilizer companies, ag retailers, and all sorts of other kind of consultants that, that play in the space can use this information to help offer better and more targeted services to growers.
0: What role does machine learning play in this technology?
1: I mean, the technology wouldn't exist without machine learning. I think it's one of the sort of interesting cases where just the amount of data that we're dealing with—it's impossible to consume it in its raw form. I mean. The main sort of platform we use to collect data still is drone imagery super high resolution data that's it's multispectral data often so it's outside of your standard red green blue visual data that you're getting we're collecting different parts of the infrared spectrum and kind of millions of pixels of, of information that we're collecting and take into account that we're also scanning sort of given trees and orchards multiple times through the season that that complexity compounds and it's pretty much impossible for any human to engage with this information in its raw form, and I guess at its core, machine learning plays a role of almost helping downsample this information into a format that can be consumed. I mean, some specific examples of what that looks like in our stack: there's the whole kind of computer vision side of things, which is all for machine learning models, where we effectively talk about digitizing pixelated information that we're getting. So. What that means practically is things like identifying each tree on the farm, giving it a location, GPS coordinates, and a number of metrics associated with that tree, and tracking over time how that individual tree is performing. The next level of, I guess, machine learning broadly that, that we're looking at is, is now interpreting this data and trying to understand, is there a problem or not? What sort of pattern is developing both in space and time? And is it anomalous? Yes or no? and I guess there's then models that we run after that on, okay, this looks like a problem. Can we diagnose what the problem is? And again, that's made machine learning-based models where in agriculture, there's hundreds of variables that could affect your crop to look a certain way. And we've been able to collect substantial data sets. We've got over 300 million trees that we've analyzed across the world now. And off the back of that data, we could become better at attributing the sort of a signal that we're, we're seeing in the data to specific root causes. And how it works in agriculture is if you can do that diagnosis, coming up with a recommendation and some sort of a corrective action is a pretty sort of uh, well understood step a, a lot of the time. In summary, machine learning plays a role throughout our value chain. There's a number of other examples and things like understanding customer engagement and analytics and different ways of benchmarking and aggregating data. But at its core, Honestly, this product wouldn't exist without machine learning.
0: So it sounds like there's a variety of types of models that would be involved in this as well. You know, everything from detecting individual trees, maybe you're even segmenting them out, you know, different ways to to characterize how each tree is growing, diagnosing whether there's a problem or not, and, you know, what the problem is. Each of those, I suspect, is an individual model that feeds in data from some of the previous models. Is that is that accurate? Exactly.
1: It's exactly the way they are works. So they're kind of chained together. The outputs of one model will form the inputs into another. And yeah, I guess as we go, we're developing more models as different crop types that we're adding, different cultivars. And just given the way that this industry works, I mean, we're dealing with the natural world. It's very much a long tail problem. Each tree is different, farm is different. Kind of building these models in ways that generalize in itself is very challenging. And as you start chaining them together, again, that kind of complexity just just increases.
0: So how do you gather and annotate the data that's needed to train these different types of models?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the biggest challenges. And I think it's something that we've done quite uniquely. So the bulk of the raw data that we're collecting is in the form of imagery. The biggest challenge in the space that we found is often building sort of ground truth data sets of labeled data to train these models off of. Some of this can be done remotely. So for things like identifying the canopy of individual trees. I mean, you collect the imagery and you could have someone sitting in the other corner of the world. So for a farm in California, we could have someone in Cape Town looking at a screen and sort of drawing a circle around the canopy of the tree. And that could be used to train a computer vision model on what a tree does and doesn't look like. And and we've done a lot of that sort of thing. So we've got our own data annotation teams internally that are helping kind of train and improve these models. In some cases we collect that data so so the drone imagery in this case at our own cost but often we're using sort of real world data that customers are are using to collect and oftentimes for other use cases where the challenge really comes in is when the ground truth data that we need can't be collected remotely so an example would be the yield estimation product that i spoke about earlier the one of the things that we're trying to predict is how many fruit there are in a tree so we want to take imagery of a tree you could see certain fruits on the canopy of the tree. There's a whole lot of fruit you can't see because they're occluded inside the tree and the model needs to predict how, how many fruit there are. The only way of developing the model and training it, uh, taking a kind of machine learning approach is having the truth for how many fruit there were on that tree. And the only way to do that is to go and manually count the fruits on that tree. So there we've come up with different methods to collect that data from, again, deploying our own teams in the field to go and do that. I think... More interestingly, and and the kind of core strategy that we've taken here is to leverage the customers that we've got to almost crowdsource collecting this data for us at scale. And it's through developing products that incentivize the collection of this data for their own use. So, for example, with the yield estimation product in its current form for a new crop type where we haven't seen enough example data to have confidence in our model results, We position it as calibration that customers need to do to collect this data manually on the ground, which we use to calibrate the models and give them more accurate results. And on our side, that data is used to inform and train these models. We do also have a team of agronomists internally who are kind of vetting and adding heuristics to the models based on the science of how agriculture actually works. But a substantial amount of the data is actually coming from customers on the ground. And we've built a number of kind of data labeling and annotation tools ourselves to help our customers help us collect that data.
0: So once you've collected and annotated the data, what kinds of challenges do you encounter in working with and training models on this drone imagery? You mentioned the quantity of data is perhaps one, but I I suspect there's others.
1: Yeah, the quantity is obviously one. and, And the environments that we're working in are super challenging in themselves like connectivity is tough just transferring this amount of data from the field to the cloud where a lot of the processing happened and vice versa is is tough similarly like the real world environments can be really variable like whether it's weather conditions or what a tree looks like it can be quite challenging and i imagine we'll talk about generalization at some point but outside of that just knowing in in building a product when the case that you're dealing with is different to what you've seen before and kind of warrants a different model or an exception to be raised can be really difficult to know as well. And it's just a function of that long tail problem that I, I mentioned before. It's, it's very, very difficult to build a kind of one size fits all approach in the space. Over and above that, like just in our industry, there's complexity sort of throughout the stack. Is the com- Complexity in the environment, and and just the fact that we're dealing with nature and trees and fruit and things like that. The types of technology that we're working with in imagery, computer vision, machine learning itself obviously has noise associated with it. And to the same sort of thread as we were talking about earlier, like yeah. as those things chain together, it becomes very very difficult to build a scalable, generalizable product. And that's where we've put a huge amount of our time and mm-hmm. and effort. I think sort of in summary in agriculture, like there's lots of exceptions and being able to firstly identify when you're dealing with an exception or not in itself is hard. And secondly to handle that at scale, just given also that things are changing each day. I mean you collect this static data in, in imagery of a crop and I mean the next day your fruit's grown a few millimeters in diameter and that information becomes stale very quickly. So trying to build these products that can return this data quickly enough, accurately enough, is also pretty challenging.
0: So let's talk a bit more about generalizability. So you you mentioned that one of the variations that you see is different weather conditions. Well, I imagine there might also be different lighting conditions. Things might look different in different geographic locations. How do you ensure that your models can can generalize to these many different types of variations?
1: So there's quite a lot of metadata that we collect that we use to sort of tag specific data sets. And those would be things like, the geography so so obviously we've got the coordinates of where we're collecting this data the crop type more than just crop type there's actually the variety of of the crop when it was planted the age of the trees and this time of season information and basically we've structured all of that uh, which our agronomists have helped us to do in a way that we would sort of have these subset or segments of data which are comparable against each other and we just make sure that we've got enough data in each of those segments to build Meaningful models, and and we've kind of got bespoke models a lot of the time for each unique case. That metadata is generally collected, a mix of remotely by us with things like the coordinates of where we're we're operating. We could measure remotely, but we also build a platform where our customers sort of tell us a lot of that data, like which variety they're they're farming. So a lot of it's done sort of in that sort of relatively structured way. We have developed quite a lot of proprietary technology that allows us to transfer learnings across different contexts. And I I mean, this is almost the main IP and development that the team is working on is things like what defines a context? What is different enough about this crop type or this environment that warrants a new model? And Mm -hmm. how can we leverage what we've built before? So so an example is our citrus yield estimation product. We needed about 10,000 data sets to get accurate enough models we then shifted into apples and despite it being a completely different crop type we could basically take that pre-trained model that we built in citrus and tune it and calibrate it to apples and all of a sudden we only needed a thousand data points so there's a lot of that sort of thing we're, we're doing as well which is just a function of the fact that these are ultimately both sets of fruit that are growing on trees there's some similarity in how they grow and how they look but there's enough differences to mean that you need to kind of fine tune and calibrate the models to these additional contexts. And we've built pretty granular and sort of bespoke approaches to handling this. It's quite difficult to kind of explain in more detail how we're doing that other than there's a whole lot of engineering that's been done to pick up when it's a different context, what a context is and how we develop those models, leveraging what else we've built before.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of transfer learning and fine tuning from one context to the next and then maybe to the next and the next as you go. But there's a, a lot of thought and planning as you go into what you're transferring from and when it's time to transfer and, and tune a new model. Are there any scenarios where it makes sense to train a broader model across different contexts or for your application, does that not work or does it not you know make sense for what you're doing?
1: It does. And obviously, like the value of having a broader model across contexts is there's less models to maintain. You could leverage more data, et cetera. And actually, the way that the pipelines work a lot of the time is that, so on the yield estimation side, as an example, there's one model that everything runs through, and then there's kind of sub modules or models that will run depending on the context and the crop type. And I think it's sort of got a hybrid approach in that context. But generally, we found that these cases are so nuanced and just fundamentally the way that the crops themselves work are so different that it sort of warrants individual models. I think from a commercial perspective, also like each of these markets in themselves are enormous. So if you look at like a specific variety of citrus, like from a ROI perspective, you could quite easily argue for having an individual model. It comes down to sort of definition of, again, what a context is and how broad or narrow those are not we're constantly trying to understand how can we make those as broad as possible while getting good enough results across the cases. And yeah, there just isn't a one-size-fits-all approach.
0: So you need to understand the particular scenario, perhaps see how you know your existing models perform, and then decide from there whether you're exactly. in the territory of a new context.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So how does your team plan and develop a new machine learning product or feature? What kind of steps do you go through, particularly at the beginning of the process?
1: So there's, there's pretty much two types of products or features, I guess. One is sort of external customer-facing product, and there we do a whole lot of customer discovery. So, I, I mean, an example now, as an example, is on the yield estimation side, we look at things like the count in, in terms of estimating the number of fruit that we can see. We also look at the size of the fruit. So can we estimate distribution of size of fruits on the trees? One of the other sort of features that, we think could be interesting is measuring, say, the colour or the quality in terms of like are there blemishes on the fruit or bruises or things like that. So I mean there's obviously all the product discovery work that we do in talking to to customers and understanding if these things are actually valuable and could we create more value and capture that value through charging more for these features. But obviously there's a the technical feasibility question on can we actually do this thing to begin with. And We've built a kind of culture internally of doing quite rapid prototypes off of like dummy data sets a lot of the time just to validate if we can or can't do this thing to begin with. And then the hypothesis that would come out of that would be, okay, if we want to build a generalizable product here that we, we can actually sell commercially, this is how much data we're going to need to get this level of accuracy. This is how much it's going to cost to collect that data. And then the product discovery work would come back with kind of what the return on that investment would be that we could expect to get. And off the back of that, we would make almost purely a financial decision on if we do or don't go with that. I mentioned that there's two types of products or features. Those are kind of the customer-facing products, which are the main things that we're working on. There's a huge amount of internal products that we're building as well. So, And they would affect things like how quickly we can turn around data Internally, and do we use a different uh, convolutional neural network to do image segmentation, or do we look at using transformer architectures, etc.? And I guess there it's almost a little bit easier for us to assess because the the outcomes are a bit more quantitative and easy to predict in terms of like accuracy and turnaround time and compute costs and things like that. But and we'll make those decisions often almost entirely within the technical team. But it's always sort of fitting into the same framework of Trying to get an estimate on is this thing feasible, what would the cost be of getting it to a production-ready level, cost in terms of time, compute cost, data collection, et cetera, and and what is the expected return on that? And in many cases, we say, look, we're willing to take a bet because the market's big enough, and we we think if we could, could, could build this out, the return would be substantial.
0: How does the seasonal nature of agriculture affect your machine learning development? For example, do you focus on certain ex- activities during the growing season and others in the off-season? Or how does that affect your planning?
1: Yes, yeah, so that's a really good question. And it's another one of the variables that we were challenged with. The way that we've accounted for this is by building sort of geographical diversity. The company is currently operating in about 20 countries in both the northern and the southern hemispheres. And what's quite interesting about the sector is... While there's obviously all the variability and differences between farms, crop types, geographies. Ultimately, the problems that farmers and crops face are quite uniform. So a soft citrus tree in South Africa would struggle with a lot of the same things as a soft citrus tree in California, just because by definition they're growing in similar climates and similar farming practices, etc. So that's almost been the main way that we've been able to get around this is through building that geographical diversity. A lot of what we do does look at sort of specific seasonal effects in understanding where in the season we are. There's a lot of work we've done on understanding the phenology of how a plant develops through the season. And we account for that through a mix of sort of heuristic agronomic modeling and just controlling if and when data gets measured. And I think to the second part of your question, we do focus on different activities during the growing season and others in the off season. So depending on even where you are in the growing season, there's different interventions that you might take. And I mean, an example there is, I mean, talking to the yield estimation product again, early season yield estimates could be used to make decisions like, do you apply growth regulator to your crop or do you thin the crop? It's one of the interventions that farmers might take where. Later stage, the product use case almost changes a bit, where now it's more about, can you use this estimate to understand how many fruit you're going to harvest and use that information to plan for labor on how many people you need on the farm. So the product itself almost accounts for where you are in the growing season. And typically in the off season, I mean, there's one or two sort of products that we we offer there, but that would generally be the time where we'd go to literally the other hemisphere and start pushing those core product propositions.
0: Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups?
1: I'm always wary of offering advice, to be honest. also like, my sample size in building this type of business is, is one. And and everything we've learned has been on the job. I think we could share sort of experience in things that we've learned. And I guess something that's been really well, one of the mistakes or learnings that we've had is we're dealing in a really, really complex space. And I've spoken about all of the examples as to why that is in the domain. and it's. It's very easy to turn that into building a product itself. It's really complex. And I think, at least in our sort of domain, the role that AI or where AI can add the most value is in using this technology to reduce that complexity and to sort of like I said right at the beginning, downsample and simplify this information into patterns and decisions that people can actually consume. And it's almost too easy to just compound that complexity and not actually solve the underlying problems. I think the problems themselves are often a lot simpler than what you think and it's quite easy to get caught up in all the latest greatest AI technology without sort of solving the core fundamental problem. I also think there's so many real world problems out there at the moment where huge amounts of data exist or starting to exist with the introduction of sensors and, and remote sensing in our case and different ways to kind of collect this data and AI just gives you a really kind of necessary set of tooling to synthesize that information and, and expose it in ways that make sense. I think what we're seeing now, especially in the sort of generative AI space, there's a lot of noise and a lot of hype and a lot of like amazing technology, but a lot of the time it's not actually solving a real world problem. And yeah, I mean, the reason I've really enjoyed building a robotics and working in the space is that it, it, very clearly can be used to create sort of real environmental impact.
0: And finally, where do you see the impact of Aerobotics in three to five years? So
1: I think we've been able to build quite kind a of strong presence around the world and integrate with a number of growers. I think what we're starting to see happen is our data be used, like I said, rather than just by the farmer themselves, more as a sort of a platform type way where the data is used to make decisions throughout the supply chain and and really we'd like to be positioned as the, the the underlying technology which at its core can give you a quantitative objective view on what the performance of your crop looks like at multiple points in the season and that objectively can be used throughout the supply chain to make better decisions and, and improve efficiencies and i think how we would get this through one just integrating and working with more customers and getting more acres on the platform and really neatly understanding sort of what performance means and looks like in different parts of the world and the different crop types that we work with, but also sort of going vertically through the supply chain and working with all of these other sorts of players. And I mean, crop insurance is one space in the US where we're very actively working at the moment and we're starting to see that this data can really be used to better understand risk and offer better products to farmers using that information and I mean that's just one example and and we'd like to kind of keep expanding within the niche that we operate to other verticals in the space.
0: This has been great. Benji, your team at Aerobotics is doing some really interesting work for precision agriculture. I expect that the insights you shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online?
1: I mean everything about aerobotics should be on the website which is www.aerobotics.com Yeah, for me personally, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way to keep track. But yeah, our marketing team is pretty active on the website and keeping a blog up to date and sharing learnings as we go.
0: Perfect. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Heather.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com slash newsletter.